Yes, what's up? It's Genesis 50. Um, and I believe uh, starting in the San Juan Fog. So it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of the Ephraim. Also, the children of Mekir, son of Manasseh, were placed with birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land that he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Cool, so I just have a prayer and we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you so much for this book, Lord. Um, there's been so many lessons uh, after the past you know, year and a half that we've been going through this, Lord. So many amazing characters and uh, yeah, I just pray that we can, you know, through the Spirit, Lord, just be given so many memories and lessons we've learned. Um, and now I just pray that in this text we can, um, yeah, really accurately see what you're trying to get across, Lord, really see the brothers and Joseph, you know, really clearly, Lord. Um, yeah, I just pray that you help us um, to hold these things in our hearts moving forward. We love you, we're present, and Cool, so it's a great passage. Um, and hopefully you guys can see why I chose to put Jesus on this so long ago. Um, and for me, I originally chose this passage uh, mainly because of verses 19 and 20. When I read those verses, uh, and in the past, every time I've read those verses, I feel like I get such a cool insight into Joseph's mind, and into how he accomplished like, everything that he did, and how he stayed faithful and moral through everything that he went through. But as I started reading, you know, a lot more into this section, I got more and more interested in the brothers as well. The section gives us a really clear and powerful contrast between Joseph and his brothers. And when you step back from it and, and from both of their stories, you see how they, they both go in completely different directions. Okay. So Joseph, right? So you look at his story. So he's sold into slavery by his own brothers. Uh, when he's 17 years old. He then, as we read a while ago, fought off sexual temptation day after day from Potiphar's wife, but was then falsely accused of attempting murder. And then through all of that, even when he's put in prison, he remained faithful to God. God then gives him this responsibility of leading Egypt through the biggest famine that they've ever seen, and then, almost as a summary of his character, we get to see him completely focused on God in his text. And therefore, able to forgive his brothers for their did And then at the very end of the passage, 
Uh, I won't be focusing on it too much, but we see Joseph still focused on God's plan, um, you know, through the way that he's focused on the promised land. You know, he asked for his bones to be brought up out of Egypt to, to the land of Canaan, um, which the Israelites, you know, eventually do in Exodus. But then what about the brothers in contrast? So we do see some positives from the brothers at times, you know, especially Judah. But overall, their lives are the opposite um, of Joseph's in a lot of ways. The starters, they were obviously the ones that sold Joseph into slavery. So right from the beginning, they're on you know, a pretty bad path. But then, they lie about it to their father, saying it was an animal that did it. And they witness their father mourning the death of his son, never once confessing what they did to Joseph, their dad. Then, we see Joseph, back in chapter 45, opening his heart when he reveals himself to them, forgiving them and reconciling himself to all of them. Um, and yet in this chapter here, we still see them hiding their guilt and shame from him and still questioning Joseph's forgiveness. So obviously rather than God building them up like he does with Joseph, we see them completely dependent on Joseph here for everything. And unfortunately the reality of Joseph ruling over them, which they were trying to avoid because they feared, that becomes true. And almost as a summary for their lives, we see them making this futile attempt to control the situation by lying to them out of fear, completely disregarding the grace that Joseph showed them, you know, about 17 years ago, which was in chapter 5. And we'll unpack that lie a little bit later. But as we read this passage, where we get these guys contrasted against each other, I think it does raise a really important question for us. We all live in complicated relationships. We have messy families, and we have a big community around us, and there's a lot of conflict that comes our way. And Joseph, when he faced so much pain, and so much more pain than brothers, and so much injustice against him, the question this passage raises is, why does he go forwards when the brothers go backwards? Same question for us. In all the relationships that we're in, and all the people around us, how do we make sure we go forwards and not backwards? in our relationships, in our character, and in our faith. So, the backward brothers. So, what do we need to know about them? So firstly, what I want to point out is that from this passage we know that they never accepted Joseph's original forgiveness. You know, like I mentioned, the family was reconciled roughly 17 years ago um, when the family was brought back together. Um, and Joseph, we see him weeping over all and he's explaining to them exactly what he explains to them now. That he doesn't hold it against them. And he knows that when they sold him into slavery, God used it to save Egypt and them from the family. And since then, they've all actually been living together in Egypt, in luxury. But despite that, we still see them working on a lie that will get Joseph to forgive them. Again, showing that they never accepted the forgiveness the first time, right? And there's several reasons why. So let's look at the first one. So my first point is that they mishandled their guilt after settling into slavery. Right at the start of our section here, it says that they do what they do with the lie out of fear. They were afraid. But how many reasons do they actually have to fear Joseph? He's given them the best land in the region, he's wept over them, and he's lived with them and provided for them for almost two decades. Why are they afraid? Well, maybe it's the same reason that we often get afraid, for no reason. 
because they were still wanting to kill him. Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked often flee when no one pursues. And if you are dealing with guilt in an honest, humble, and repentant way, it tends to stay inside and grow, and it can become fear. And that fear can actually become a lot of bad decisions, like lying, that can ruin relationships. And then if you look back at verse 16, we see something interesting as well. It says that they sent word to Jesus. Why don't they go to him themselves? Because they're probably hiding from their guilt because they don't want to face it. The guilt's still there inside of them. It's controlling them and it's causing this fear. It's driving this fear. But rather than acknowledge what they're feeling by going to Joseph and just telling him that they still feel guilty, instead they hide from all of it and they try to control the situation from a distance instead. And maybe that point there is a good chance for us to stop and think. How often do we do that? When we know that we've done something wrong and it has a hold on our conscience, how often do we give into the temptation to just hide from it instead of coming to the person? Just like the brothers sit there sin from Jacob for decades, and then even now they fail to approach Joseph and just talk to him, Jesus says go to his brother, go to your brother, um, but how often do we bite the bullet and just go to our brother? Like the brothers should have done. Because if we don't, it will grow and it will damage our relationships. Mm. So that's the first thing. If you want to go backwards in your relationships, as well as in your character and your faith, the first step is to mishandle your guilt. <clears throat> Second point, the brothers make an assumption. What do they assume? They assume what Joseph's reaction is going to be. They assume that Joseph doesn't forgive them and never forgave them in the first place. And they assume that if they went to him and asked for forgiveness, he wouldn't give it. And said he'd Back at the start of the passage, when all of this begins, surely the brothers all would have had a conversation together where this lie sort of was constructed. One of the brothers, whoever started it, he was holding the guilt inside. And then he began to be afraid when Jacob died, that, Jacob, that Joseph was going to kill him. And so he voices that to the rest of the brothers. But rather than going to Joseph and talking about it, he just talks to the brothers instead. And together they come to the amazing conclusion that talking to Joseph for some reason is out of the question because he will definitely kill them and won't forgive them. And then from that assumption, what do we get? We get their decision to lie, which we'll talk about next. But this idea of not talking to someone about something and talking to everyone else instead, that point alone should be convicting for us. I think all the time we have guilt inside that needs to be communicated to someone and needs to be brought out into the open. But we don't say it because we're scared of the person's reaction. We need to tell that person who we hurt about the guilt we're feeling. Just like we need to tell that person who hurt us that they hurt us. But in a lot of these situations, we trust our fear instead and we make an assumption about how the person's going to react. How do we know if we actually go to this? The brothers definitely could have told Joseph what they were feeling. They could have just saved all the lying, and they could have saved this elaborate attempt to destroy the family once again, and they could have just told him, bro, I still feel guilty. And they would have ended up at the same awesome two verses that we get in verse 19 and 20. But they don't do it. And honestly, it should be sad reading this. Why else would Joseph weep? 
in response to hearing. Joseph has made every effort to forgive and restore this family, but his brothers still can't deal with their guilt properly, and they still can't have the conversations that need to be had. I actually work as a, a child counsellor at the moment, um, and in my job, I hear a lot of stories like this. I hear a lot of the stories of family issues that seem to go on and on and on for years because of guilt that someone has for doing something that was never acknowledged. The important conversation is never had, the apology is never made, and so assumptions get passed around about how people will react, and no one speaks up, no one says what needs to be said, and no one starts the conversation. And that's exactly what happens here with clubs. And that's why we see them, even after all this time, still going backwards. So, if you want your relationships to go backwards, as well as your own character and faith, the second step to remember is to make assumptions about people. Make assumptions rather than going to them and just talking about what's inside. So, third point. Now that they've assumed what Joseph's Joseph position is going to be, they now, like I said, they decide to lie and deceive Joseph, right? And it's all in this effort to control the situation to relieve the own, their own fear that they have. And hopefully you guys can see that it's a lie in text, even though it doesn't explicitly say it. So basically what they say in this, as you read it, is they're basically getting this, this messenger or this servant to say to Joseph, Dad said you don't forgive us. That's the message that they're bringing to him. Why is that stupid though? Several reasons. Firstly, out of all the brothers, Joseph by far spent the most time with their father. Joseph is even with him in his dying breaths, and yet Jacob still couldn't say to him directly that he needs to forgive his brothers. That doesn't make sense. Or for some reason he thought it was better to tell the brothers, to tell the messenger, to tell Joseph to forgive his brothers. None of that seems to make sense. Why would Jacob want that message to come from the brothers when it was their sin? And it's honestly such a badly executed lie. And that's coming from me, and I've had some shocking ones. <laughs> but the, I mean, the good thing here as we read this text is that we see the Bible portraying lying as it really is. Lying, especially in the case of these brothers, is a futile attempt at trying to control situations and people that are out of your control. And it's an amazing way to damage your relationships and go backwards. So, the final point, and this one, I think should be the most convicting, and I've done my best to make it that way, um, but it is a lot more subtle than the other ones in our text. So, I don't know if it's something you guys think about a lot, um, but the more you dive into it, the more you realise the danger that's in it. So, where do we see it in the brothers? Look back at verse 18. The brothers throw themselves down at Joseph's feet and cry, We are your slaves. Really? And it seems like an unnecessary point, right? Like, surely slaves is an exaggeration for their situations. They've lived in luxury with Joseph for almost two decades, like we spoke about. They're given the best land at the time, and they're pretty much left to live in peace, the family all reconciled, with all of their needs met. Not to mention while there's a massive famine going on around them. Seems a bit out of place to be so dramatic. In complete honesty, when you picture the situation, aren't these guys acting a little bit like kids? 
I mean, picture the moment. They've literally been given everything. Why are they slaves? Why are they out of fit? They've been treated with nothing but love and kindness for the last 17 years by Joseph. They're not slaves, they're family. But isn't that the nature of suffering? Isn't that always about turning your situation with all of its positives into a negative and ignoring all the solutions and choosing to give up hope for the future? Because it is a decision, right? It's a choice in self-pity to focus on your pain and show it off to the people around you instead of dealing with the pain appropriately for the purpose of moving forward. If you really want to stay stuck in the past and keep going backwards, self-pity, I promise you, will be your best friend. Because when you think about it, self-pity is the complete opposite of taking responsibility for your actions here and now for the sake of moving forward. But isn't that exactly why we do it though? Isn't that exactly why we run it? So rather than acknowledge the guilt and the fear that's growing inside them and have the humility to ask for forgiveness again, self-pity is a much more pleasant alternative. It's an immediate comfort where they get to dramatize their problems instead of dealing with them. But on this point as well, the brothers actually give us a pretty interesting insight into self-pity here. This is when you look at their, their story as a whole. They show us quite clearly that you can be outwardly covered in guilt for something that you've done. You can be constantly saying how much you hate yourself for something that you did, no matter how bad it was, just like they did a few chapters ago when the sin came to life. And it was a big sin. But if you aren't willing to genuinely work through the guilt and accept the forgiveness and even go to God for forgiveness, then you're actually, maybe unconsciously, making a decision to stay in that guilt. So we shouldn't be surprised when the guilt and the fear that it brings stay inside us. And, in the context of this, if you're choosing self-pity, like the brothers do, you're also choosing to not repair a relationship that you're ruining. No wonder the brothers go backwards, right? So with all these things put together, hopefully you get some insight into uh, some of the things that can hold us back, um, some of the reasons that the brothers um, you know, through all that they all they face, um, still seems to be going back with some contrast to us. So, now for the less negative side of things, this is the final part of the chapter. Um, so, what if we want to move forwards like Joseph does? Let's look back at verses 19 to 20. My favorite one. He says, Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I find this verse is mind-blowing. How often do you meet someone who's been through what Joseph has, at the age that he went through it, who is still able to have a positive and faithful perspective on all of that? This man went forward in life more than anyone, even though he had more reasons than any of us to go back. When he was sold into slavery, even, at 17, even without any of the other things happening. Even from that, how does he not turn to self-pity? Yeah. And stay suffering? How does he not bask in that comfort of self-pity and worming, just focusing on the pain? When I think about that, it's funny, I was even thinking like, I literally spend more time complaining about hay fever than this guy spends complaining about being falsely accused of sexual assault and throwing prison. 
And he doesn't seem to get stuck in Sophia at all. So how does he do it? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. And I narrowed it down uh, to three things that we need to know. Know your place, know your people, and know your purpose. Know your place. Okay, so Joseph knew his place. What does that mean? Look at verse 19. Don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? In life, we all have to deal with people who hurt us. And people like the brothers who are too afraid to apologize and take responsibility for what they did. And who will even try to lie to control our reactions and control the situation. It happens. But going forward, it's like Joseph, if that's what you want to do, it means holding back your every instinct in those moments. It requires you to stand back emotionally and let God be God. The only way that Joseph manages to keep the standing together when these brothers seem hell-bent and trying to tear it apart is because he knew his place. He knew that God was God and Joseph was Joseph. And if you find it difficult to do with these people, and you're sitting there thinking there's no way, Imagine what it was like for him. He is literally in charge of all of Egypt. He is the closest thing to being a god that you can be at that time. He has more power and wealth than any of us will probably ever have. And yet he holds to this conviction so firmly that God is God and he is not. That he doesn't have the right to judge his brothers, only God does. And so he never tries to sit in God's shit. And I think that's the only way that he's actually able to do And even on this point, though, I do want to point out, it doesn't mean to ignore your emotions, to ignore your pain, or to ignore your hurt. One of the things I love so much about Joseph is that he cries more than anyone else in the Bible. But it does mean letting go of your pride and letting God sit in his judgment seat. So what about you? What about us? Who haven't we forgiven? Because if you want to move forwards, you're eventually going to have to do it. If you can't let go of that pain and let God be in control, you'll find bitterness and self-pity waiting to put themselves onto you and drag you backwards. And it will ruin your relationships. Secondly, Joseph knew his people. So every time the topic of forgiveness is brought up, I feel like there's at least one person who brings up this idea, right? Of, okay, so if I'm supposed to forgive everyone and turn the other cheek, does that mean I just assume the best in everyone um, and just let them trample on me? Well, no. Forgiving everyone doesn't mean assuming the best in everyone at all. Or allowing people to be At no point does Joseph do that in this story. Do you think he allowed himself to be sold into slavery by his God? He had no idea what was coming. And even now, he's not forgiving them in this chapter because he believes they're alive. I think he sees straight through. He knows that their intentions were evil and harm. He acknowledges it. He says to them, yeah, of course you intended to harm me. You were jealous, and so out of your own insecurity, you kicked me out. He calls out their intentions, and I think that we should too. Like Joseph, we need to be wise and know the people around us and not be naive to their intentions. Not only because that's the only way that you can truly forgive someone for what their hearts really wanted, but also because otherwise you will end up being run over by people. 
I think we're called to be wise in that. If we don't, we'll fall for people's lies, we'll fall for their, for their deceit and for their self-pity, and we'll be dragged backwards in a range of situations that people throw at us. People like his brothers who will try and destroy relationships. If you know that someone's hurting you, lying to you, gossiping or slandering about you, or if you know that this happened in the past, and you brought it to that person, and they confessed what they did, why would you call it what it is? Out of their own guilt or fear or insecurity, they've done something and they intended to harm. And if you call it what it is, it proves that you're honest them, right? And it shows that you're not going to be convinced by their self-pity or their whining, and you're not going to mind their lives. But also, what we see probably more so in this text, is that you'll be able to do something that no one ever does to people like that, if you're willing. Like I said, you'll be able to genuinely forgive them for wanting to harm you. Not just for their actions, not just for a momentary mistake based on wrong information, whatever the excuses are they throw at you, but forgiveness for having evil intentions. Forgiveness for wanting to harm you. And isn't that the forgiveness that you want? But then perhaps in that moment, like, jo- like with Joseph and his brothers, that kind of forgiveness after pulling out their sin for whatever it really is, you give them an opportunity to repent that they would not have had otherwise. And maybe the only reason that the brothers here are able to go on and become the 12 tribes of you know, God's people, Israel, and move forward, maybe the only reason they can do that is because here Joseph was able once again to pull out their real parts and then forgive Third and lastly, if you're trying to go forwards, the last thing that you need to know is your purpose. In verse 20, we see that Joseph did. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving many lives. If nothing else, we know that from this verse, Joseph was a man who was obsessed with God's will. He thought about it deeply. He admired it, he loved it, and he agreed with it in his heart. Sure, that doesn't mean he didn't wrestle with it. I mean, his life was full of undeserved, unfair, and uncontrollable pain that he didn't bring in himself. And that's even outside of what his brothers did to him. But somehow he's able to look back at all of it, right, and say, yeah, God did that. And I'm glad he did. It was worth it because it was all part of the plan that I can actually see now looking back. God achieved something with my suffering that was much bigger than myself. And he achieved something I couldn't have done without. So we only need to consider that for a second. Because probably the main reason that Joseph was able to move forwards through everything that he went through over the course of his life is because he knew God's will. And within it, he knew his purpose. And more than that, he accepted that this purpose was more important than anything else that he wanted to hold on to in his heart. And what does that mean for him? It means he was willing to let go of all his pain. And he was willing to put it on God instead. And fit it within God's plan for him. He was willing to trust that the suffering he went through was for the plan that God had for him. He was willing to trust that. And even as we're wrapping up Genesis, we can tie this into the book of Genesis as a whole. What was God's grand plan with all of it? All of Genesis starting with Abraham is God building a nation that eventually will bring the chance for salvation from sin to every nation. 
And God continues this plan all the way through the Old, the Old Testament, all the way up until right now where it reaches us in Rome. And so we're going to be in a very different covenant and a very, very different time in history. But now we have the same purpose that Joseph had. Joseph was saved so that he could save lives. That's us. And we should be obsessed with that purpose. We should love it so much that we can hold on to that purpose no matter what we go through and eventually look back and know that God was molding us and sharpening us as tools to play a part in a grander plan. A grander plan to save all the people around us. That's exactly how this room has grown from 60 to over 100 in a couple of years. There's people doing exactly that. And as we are doing that, the truth is that God is going to give us exactly what we need to make sure that we go forward. So as we finish up, living in relationships and in communities is tough. It's hard. It forces us to go through all kinds of conflicts and hurt and pain and wrestle with all kinds of emotions that we wouldn't otherwise have. But if we want to move forward in the relationships and let them drive us forward in growth, in character and faith, we need to remember a couple of things. We need to handle our view properly, not run from it. We need to have the hard conversations and not make assumptions from a distance. We need to stop lying to try and control situations and pretending and deceiving and instead face our fears and face our feelings. And lastly, we need to avoid self-pity. We can work through our emotions, absolutely, but don't stay stuck in self-pity. It will stop you from doing everything that needs to be, that needs to be done here and now, and it will 100% drag backwards. And from that, we also need to know three things. We need to know our place. In every conflict, we are not God. God is God. And we need to know our people as well. Wisdom is knowing the hearts can be We don't need to be naive to that. And finally, we need to know our purpose. Our purpose is to go out and save. And suffering will mold us to make us able to do that. I'll let him pray and then do one final song. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you and thank you so much for this text, Lord. Um, for the life of Joseph, who's it's a story that's played a massive part in my own character development, Lord, just learning so much from him, and uh, there's so many lessons, Lord, because we know that we are in complicated relationships uh, that bring about complicated feelings and um, even guilt that we often want to run from, Lord, but I just thank you so much here that you give us warnings of what not to do, um, as well as inspiring motivation to do what needs to be done, Lord, and uh, I just pray that with all of us moving forward in this week uh, and in the coming months and years, Lord, I pray that we can hold to this teaching that in this, within this room and within our relationships and especially within our families, Lord, we need to have the conversations that need to be had um, and we need to bring everything to you for your plan, Lord, and just pray that you help us to do that. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name.